morning, everyone. Junior Church, you are dismissed to walk. For you who are 30 and under, you're not going to remember this, but I just want to see who all above that may remember it. How many of you remember a commercial series where there was a guy who would wake up dragging his feet? Gotta make the donuts. Okay? And what was the whole purpose of that? He was going through the motions. He was repeating the same thing over and over. Have you ever had something in your life where you just constantly do the same thing over and over? It's monotonous. You never think about it. You just go through it like laundry. You don't have to think about it unless you're a guy and you don't remember what you're doing. Uh, But you go through the motions of doing it. Every morning you get up, you hit the alarm clock, you walk to the coffee and have to drink it before you can open your eyes, and then you have to go through the shower, and you don't, need, you don't even have to look. You know where the shampoo is. You go through the exact same motions all the time. It can be a great thing, but it can also hinder us in our growth. Today's text is one that I have preached multiple times. It's always hard to preach a passage that people have heard multiple times, so what do I do? This is where I came. I've already gone through this section before. Do I, do I skip this section hoping you all have read it and you know what it means and let's move on? Do I gloss over it, not going into detail, kind of just acknowledge that it's there and move on to something else? Or do I break it down and keep doing what we've done in our study back so far, slow down and hit it? Well, I think you know what I chose to do. So last week we went through about 30-some verses. Today we're going through seven. Seven verses that I preached before, that I've taught lessons on before, and this passage that I've heard so many times from other people. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and turn there, because I wanted to see, and I I prayed about this, I I chose to break down and see what God wants us here at St. Joe Church of Christ to know about these few verses. As we continue our sermon series about trouble and the church, we're going to see here again that the church has troubles this time within again. Verse 1, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. We, we have seen some troubles within the church. We've seen some troubles outside of the church. They've been persecution from religious leaders. There's dishonesty and division from within. There are people just going through the motions uh, from within the members. We saw how the first church worked to stay on target despite these problems. So what is the problem here? It, it says that the believers rapidly multiplied. If you've ever had a very big growth spurt, okay, I grew six inches one summer, and uh, my mom didn't like it because I had new clothes at the beginning of the summer that were on clearance, and they were for the next year's school year. None of them fit. That was a growing pain my mom didn't like. And then I had knees that started hurting. My brother-in-law, he grew so much that he was, his knees hurt so bad, he would lay in bed and just be almost in tears because these growing pains hurt him. This church is going through some growing pains. 
the believers rapidly multiplied. They were growing. A growing church is an awesome thing. A growing church is an exciting thing. A growing church has momentum and movement. And with all that, we need to understand a growing church is not perfect. A growing church does not mean it's got it all together. Do you know how we know that? People are there. We are there. The early church had some problems, even though they were a growing church. This early church made sure to take care of each other, as we've seen in other passages. Uh, Here they're showing it by taking care of their widows. And in that culture, that is the family's job, to take care of their their widowed mothers or widowed aunts or, or like that. The problem was not every widow had a younger family who would take care of them. And this growing church made sure these ladies are being taken care of. And here's where the problem arises. It says, there were rumblings of discontent. Discontent, dissatisfaction, displeasure. Really, it's a negative way of saying jealousy. Jealousy is when we want something someone else has. Jealousy does not want what's fair. Jealousy doesn't want what's equal. A person who is jealous wants more for themselves. They want what they have and what someone else's have. They want all of that for themselves. It says the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. So we're going to have Greek over here, and we're going to have Hebrew over here. And you guys are all complaining. Um, They're complaining that this side is the favorite side. Do you know why this is the favorite side? Because my wife's over here. That's why. And so all of you just deal with it. Grumble, 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 complain. And that's another reason why this is not the favorite side. Platner's over here. (laughs) And so in this, there's this complaint. There's this, what's right in the middle? A division. There's separation. And this side is saying there's discrimination just because they're Hebrew speakers. They're more mature. They're more in line with what God's people have said. doesn't make us any worse. They're jealous of the food they're getting. Um, The Greek speakers said there was favoritism towards the Hebrews. And this is something we hear way too often, even to today. It could be stated that there was a division between Hellenistic Jews who are from Greece. These are the people who are from far off, but they could speak the natural language of Hebrews. They looked churchy. They sounded churchy. They looked and sounded religious. All these people over here wear shorts and a T-shirt. That's kind of the difference. Well, look, the people wearing ties, the people who are wearing dresses, the people who are being able to quote King James, they get favored. Attention. And and that's kind of what's going on here. There was also a prejudice because this side is not from Jerusalem. They're from the other countries. You could be contaminated. You're not pure. And so, therefore, there's problems. And the Hebrews, speaking believers, are a little haughty in that. They're a little arrogant in We're better than you. And it started a division. So there's trouble in this early church. There's division once again. Division based on jealousy 
which started to result in a feud. Too bad Paul hadn't already written his book to the Philippian church in 2.14, one of my favorite verses, do everything without complaining and arguing. My kids hate this verse because they start arguing or complaining. I'm go write that scripture. Sometimes I don't like this verse because my kids have to say, Dad, what's Philippians 2.14 say? <laughs> Do we ever fall in that same trap of division today? Do we allow division of our personal preferences? Do we allow division over cultural issues? Do we allow divisions over ideas or philosophies? We allow all these things that are not scripturally mandated to cause division and jealousy and discord. So the first church wasn't perfect. Look how the apostles, the real church leaders, handled this in Acts 2. Or 6, verse 2. So the twelve, that means the apostles there, called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea. They chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenius, Nicholas of Antioch, and earlier convert of the Jewish faith. This passage, especially these verses right here, are used to illustrate the need for deacons. That's what this passage is. We can see why verses 3 through 6 here focuses on choosing individuals to handle this current issue. Every time I have heard this passage, every single time I have heard this passage in a lesson or in a sermon, it has been about deacons. Every time I have taught this passage, it's been about deacons. Deacons are, let me just say some, deacons are a vital part of a growing church and its ministries. The proof is right here. The church leaders appoint some men to help with the ministry here. They select men who are are respected, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdoms. Deacons should be respected, spiritually guided, spiritually mature. Deacons should be appointed. This wasn't up for an election. It was, we have picked these men, and the apostles said, that's right, go do it. Deacons were not church leaders. The church leaders said, yes, go do that work so we can do this. Now, look what deacons are to do. Verse uh, 3, we will give them this responsibility. The real church leaders delegated this task, delegated the responsibility of the food program To the deacons, that means a growing church delegates responsibility. When we delegate responsibilities, that means we don't micromanage it. Talked with some church leaders who had handed off the the responsibility of building and grounds to a group of deacons. And what that meant is they wanted to make sure all the buildings, maintenance and upkeep and the yard work was all being taken care of. And so they had, they appointed a few guys and said, will you take care of this? Instead of giving this team the responsibility, these elders, though, or a couple of them, micromanaged it. They would say, well, something needs fixed, and they would have to be brought before one of the elders, and they'd have to look at it. Well, I don't like this. I don't like this. I want you to do it this way. I want you to do it this way. No, you can only hire this person. And they took the responsibility back away from them. 
They wanted approval for price or who to hire. It was so bad that a couple of the elders would stand around and watch while the repairs were being made over their shoulder. He turned that screwdriver the right way. And they make comments like that. It was so bad that even one of the elders made sure to be there whenever they were mowing the yard to make sure that the, the lines were the right way, it was cut the right size or height. Do you know what happened to that building and grounds team? It dissolved. They quit the team. And four out of the five guys on that team, four of them quit the church. They left. When delegating, we have to hand over that responsibility. That's what it says here in the church, or in the scriptures. That church leaders handed over the responsibilities. That means they didn't say, now did you line up on this side of the table or this? Did you make sure you gave them one or two scoops? They didn't micromanage it. They said, you handled this. They delegated it. That means the deacons they chose were going to do their task till it was completed, and they didn't have to do anything with it. Deacons are vital to a growing church for that reason. But here is where we need to shift gears. As I said, I've heard numerous sermons, lessons, even from me, on how to choose proper deacons, and this is what this scripture has always been used for. But as I was breaking this down, that is not what the scripture is focused on. And I said, wait a minute. And I had to go back, and I had a friend uh, several months ago, and he was challenging me on how to break down scripture, and he showed me these little tools and exercises to, to find the focus and the principles of that scripture so I could preach it properly. And while this focus on deacons has been taught and preached, even by me, deacons are not the main focus of this sermon, of these verses. They are a means to accomplish the focus. Acts 2, this is the key. So the twelve called the meeting of all the believers and said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. The apostles immediately recognize if this dispute is not handled, if it isn't dealt with quickly, it could cause division, which is exactly against what God wants. God wants his people to be united. It's going to distract the apostles, though, if it was a division on what they should be doing. And what is it the job of the church leaders to do? Preach and pray. Teaching the word of God. We should be doing that, not running a food program. While it does talk about deacons, I have come to, by Tuesday afternoon, my sermons, my tech, my lessons on this passage have been shallow. They haven't gotten to the root of this passage. And so I looked at deacons. And God's saying, no, there's something much more here. The focus is in verse 2. The apostles, the church leaders, recognizing what their priority really was. Too many times in the church, especially the American church, we have messed this up. Many people think that to be a deacon for so long, once you've been a deacon for so long, you automatically are drafted or drafted into an elder. It's not found in the Bible. Um, some people think that you have to have training in it as a deacon first before you can become an elder. That's not in the Bible. 
Some churches give equal voice and responsibilities to deacons and elders. They say they're equal with just different tasks. It's not in the Bible. I was even in one church where a guy said, well, my daddy was an elder, my grandpa was an elder, so therefore I must be an elder. Book, chapter, verse. That's not what this is. Deacons are not pre-elders, junior elders, testing ground to be an elder. That's not what they are. Deacons exist in the church for one primary purpose, so elders can fulfill their calling. That's what a deacon is to do, is to take some stuff away so that elders can focus on what elders are supposed to do. So what's an elder supposed to do? That's the next question here. If, if deacons handle these ministry issues, what does an elder do? What is the calling of an elder? First, elders are to establish policy. What that means, in Acts 15, the elders, the apostles and elders establish a policy regarding outreach to Gentiles. There's an issue, the elders are going to settle it with a policy. This is how we're going to handle that. They establish that and move on. Here's the rule of thumb on this. I hate using rule of thumb. That sounds kind of legalistic. But they're going to set a policy for this. They set a policy and delegate responsibility of each area. Two, elders have oversight of pastoral matters. In Scripture, whenever elders are mentioned, there's a few words to you that are used. Overseer, shepherd, elder. Elder emphasizes old, right? So you got to be old. you got to be ancient to be an elder. So all of our elders, raise your hand. <laughs> Old. <laughs> no. Elder just means mature. They've grown up and they've matured through wisdom and experiences, all but rod. And that wasn't from me. That was Jen going, no. Elder emphasized the man who's mature in faith. Overseer, bishop, speaks to what he does. He oversees, he manages it. And then pastor or shepherd deals with how he does it. These three words are used to describe an eldership. Elders are to oversee the ministry. It's their calling. And I want to say that very specifically. It is not just something you do. It is a calling. Elders are to oversee the ministry because God has called them to do this. To make sure the church collectively is following the guidelines of Scripture. It is also their calling to make sure individuals in the church are growing in their faith. That means it's the church's or the elders' job to make sure this church is focused on Scripture and going the right way. It also means it's the elders' job to make sure you and I are growing in faith and going the right way. Which means they might have to have a tough conversation with us every now and then. Because that's what God expects them to do. So they're to have pastoral oversight. That doesn't mean me. That means elders. Number three, elders are to lead in uh, prayer and teaching. You can see this right in uh, Acts chapter 6. The apostle said they need to focus on preaching and teaching and praying. In James 5.16 and 1 Corinthians 11, it tells us elders are to have a reputation for praying powerfully. 1 Timothy 3 tells elders they need to instruct, to teach, mentor other believers into greater, deeper faith. That is their responsibility, their calling. And four, elders protect the congregation. 
if elders, if you look at this list, if elders are doing the first three, they are accomplishing that fourth one. First, or that fourth one is a culmination of doing the first three. But it still needs to be said, elders are here to protect the church from troubles that arise within, like here in Acts 6, and to protect the church from troubles that are trying to get in. A growing church is going to have more problems because there are more people. A small church is so easy to handle because there's no one there. A growing church is harder. More people means more wear and tear on the facilities. You mean we got to paint again? There's another hole in the wall. Carpet's being torn. We've got to do this, replace this. There's more wear and tear. More people means using more resources, utilities, toiletries, communion, uh, lesson materials. We're going to be using more and more and more of them as we grow. More and more people mean extra areas of service. We have nursery needs, junior church, Sunday school, adult Sunday school, attendance, building in grounds. We have all these areas that need help because more and more people are using them. Helping with financial needs, supporting others with physical labor. It doesn't just mean in the building, it means in people's homes. More and more people bring more and more things to take care of. And that is awesome. That is why we are here. To honor God, to honor and love God, and then to love one another. So when you're struggling with something, you bring it to the church, the elders delegate responsibility to it, and it happens. It gets taken care of. You need something, we should turn to the church, not governmental programs. You're lacking something, you turn to the church. The party, um, this, uh, I've lost my place. That is partly why the church is here, to honor, worship God, to show love and encouragement, support and accountability to each other. The leaders, the church leaders, meaning the elders, need to make sure that the church is growing, not just by numbers, but more importantly, by maturity in their faith, stronger in their faith. And I'll tell you this, a growing faith-based church will always result in numbers. A growing number church does not always mean growing in faith. Okay? We have to understand that. I could attract a lot of people to a church by saying certain things, and they would not build faith. But a growing faith always brings people. And that's scriptural. That's what scripture says. And that's why deacons are here. Deacons aid the unity of the church by attending to the physical and administrative matters while elders are focused on the spiritual, on the oversight of the entire congregation through their work of policy, teaching, prayer, shepherding, and leading. That's the focus of this. It's in verse 2. But notice what happens to this early church when they did it. Go to verse 6. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them and laid their hands on them. That was a sign of we are appointing them to this. 
and then sending them to do the job. Verse 7, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. These two verses here are the pinnacle of this event. The apostles prayed over these newly appointed deacons and sent them off, delegated them to do this job of the people's needs, and then what happens? God's message continued to spread. Look at these two verses. It's going to be in verse 2 and verse 6 and 7. Our job is teaching the word of God. The apostles said that. And verse 7, so God's message continued to spread. Do we see the correlation there? The church leaders recognize this is our job. The elders, the, the real church leaders of the this is what we need to do. You go handle this so we can handle this. And what was the result? This happened. If this trouble wasn't dealt with, it could fester and grow. Instead, they delegated the task to qualified individuals, and then the church leaders did their calling. They focused on it. They didn't get sidetracked. They didn't get diverted or um, divided. They handed off the less important to focus on the eternal. The result, God's message spread. The church grew. A growing church has elders who focus on their responsibility And I want to add one right now. They're calling. They focus on their calling. That's what a true spiritual growing church is going to look like. So while this passage at first seems to point at deacons, the true focus is God's chosen church leaders focusing on telling more and more and more and more people about Jesus. That's what the focus of this early church is. Despite the troubles coming, they stayed focused. Despite the troubles that started erupting, they stayed focused to their calling. They made sure they kept the main thing the main thing. While I will never proclaim this church is perfect, I can never say this church is perfect because I'm in it. You're in it. I can't, I can say that this church is growing. For the past four years, it's been official five years now, right? Five years I've been here. And I've been able to see not just my faith, my family's faith grow. I've seen so many of people in this church grow. I've heard people say, our faith has really grown. Our devotion has really grown. Our knowledge of scripture has really grown. And do you know why that is happening? It is not because of the guy standing behind this stage or this stand. It is because we have elders who are saying, we need scripture. We need people to understand what God says, not what's culturally relevant, not what sounds nice, but what God actually says about these issues. And they have challenged me, you better do it or or else. This is my calling to follow and do that, and so is yours. To tell more and more people about Jesus under the guideship of God-given elders that are following their calling. This church has shown it is growing. Growing in faith. I, I just said that, and, and I, if I asked, I would tell you, I could point out people who have said their faith has grown. We've grown in devotion to God. We have been growing in good reputation 
Fort Wayne people are hearing about St. Joe. We don't have a blinking light. How can they hear about St. Joe? Because God's doing something. We're growing more and more and solid in our foundation and understanding of God's word. Not what the world says, not what culture says, but what is written here in the Bible. We are growing. We are growing in faith and love towards God, in our knowledge of his word. And whenever that happens biblically, God says, I will add to their number those who are being saved. And so as a result, more and people, more people are coming here. The only way we'll be able to continue to grow in faith and in numbers is if first we keep the central focus of preaching and teaching about Jesus. That, that's what it's got to be about. It's not about what we can offer. It's not about what we think we can do. It's not about the worship band and how good they can sound. It's not about the coffee. It's not about how it feels. It's about what God's Word says and how that applies to each one of us. The focus needs to be on preaching, teaching, and prayer from the, the spiritual leaders, the elders, on down. Because then we can teach and preach how all of us can come to know God can come to know Jesus, leave a lifestyle of sin, and enter into an eternal relationship with God and be saved. I don't want to go to hell. So I've chosen Jesus. I don't want you to go to hell. The elders in this church don't want you to go to hell. So they want to make sure you hear the message of Jesus. If you've never accepted that message, if you've rejected it because you think, I've got to get this right, I need to do this, maybe I need to handle this, or I want to get through this thing first, stop. Come to Jesus first. Hand over your problems and your mess to him and see what he can do. That's what we want to do. We'll talk with you. The elders and I will talk and pray with you. We want to be there to help you see the one who died on that cross. That's our purpose. If you've never accepted that, if you've never partaken of that, if you've never given your life to Him, if you've never been buried in the waters of baptism and had your sin removed from you so that you can rise up, be filled with God and the Holy Spirit, so you can walk into that life and know with confidence, I am saved. Can we talk to you today? If you've made that decision, let's stand. Let's praise him who gave us that.